0: Hi everybody, my name is Angie and I'm an alcoholic. My group is the Unity Group in Cincinnati, Ohio on Monday evenings at 7 p.m. If you're ever in the town, give me a call and I'll take you there. My sobriety date is June the 20th, 1991, and for that I'll be forever grateful. I am. Thank you, Lee. First of all, um, for uh, having me here, and Ann, um, who's just a really, really warm individual. And then the ladies that picked me up from the airport. Um, we we had good conversation, and we went to eat, and we both we all got ridiculously full, and uh, <laughs> it was just I mean just sickening as full how full we were. We're just on the verge of just you know going to the bathroom. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> So that was fun and and you know i'm really really grateful to be in florida um actually um it, it's it's an honor for me to be anywhere and you'll hear by the end of my story how uh why i'm so thankful but um i'm originally from greenville south carolina and back home well okay cool and um back home we lived in a little white house on a red clay road and uh we got our water out of wells and we had an outhouse, and um, we picked black raspberries for fun, and I'm from a family of Baptist ministers. And
1: um, yeah, listen, everybody, like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, we bet she's got a
0: story. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and, um, and and I had flaming red hair and freckles um, growing up, and nobody else in my family did. And uh, my brother informed me that the reason why I looked the way I did was because the mailman was my daddy. So whenever I saw him bring him, it's so funny Alan always go "Oh!" <laughs> God love her <laughs> so whenever I would see the mailman coming down the road I'd go daddy <laughs> and he would uh Put his arms around me and tell me how cute I was and pat me on the head. And, uh, and and thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous because what I learned is that turned out to be a little pattern for me, actually. Where, where if you just uh, put your arms around me and tell me how cute I was that we were, well, basically married at that point. But uh, so we stayed down south for a little while and, um, you know, my parents had great Big dreams for me. I was—I've uh, been singing since I was three, and um, they wanted me to be a famous gospel singer, and I was to take care of my family uh, for the rest of my life, basically. And when you tell a nine-year-old that, that's stress, and uh, <laughs> and and so I remember, you know, just when my and my my family actually sat me down and told me that. You know uh, we know you have talent, you're good, you know uh, you're from a good family and and we want you to just you know we want to work on you, we want you to go to voice lessons, we want you to do all this stuff and uh, so that we don't have to work any anymore basically <laughs> and uh you know, so you know, I got on my little tricycle and oh, yeah. <laughs> guess I'll get a paper out you know what I mean it's hard now um, and so and so we stayed down there for a little while and um we, uh, my dad got transferred up to Cincinnati, and, um, in the process of him traveling back and forth from Cincinnati to South Carolina, he found him a girlfriend. And so, when we, uh, it was time for us to move, he did move us to Cincinnati, but he left and he went and he married uh, his girlfriend up the hill. And that left my mother and, uh, to raise my sister, my brother, and myself. And, uh, and I need to tell you that when I got sober, my mother was my biggest problem. I really truly believed in my innermost self that if she would have just treated me the way she treated my brother and sister, that I would not be this loser sitting at an AA meeting saying, I'm an alcoholic. See, it was all her fault. And I need to tell you that my mother struggles with mental illness and she does not believe in taking medication. And what she does is she sometimes just leaves and she disappears for sometimes days, sometimes weeks. And you know, it's Because of Alcoholics Anonymous, that I've been able to love my mother through her episodes. Because, see, you taught me that my mother, yes, she's my mother, but she has her own set of deal, her own set of problems that she came in and she deals with on a regular basis, and that it's not always about me. And what you've done, Alcoholics Anonymous, is you've taught me how to see my mother as a woman and not as my mother. And I've been able to use that service work that I was taught early on. I think it's real easy sometimes for us to go to meetings and empty ashtrays and, 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 you know, be good and kind to other alcoholics, but sometimes it's real difficult to practice that at home. And you taught me how to practice it at home, and, and, and I'll be forever forever grateful. My mother is home as we speak. I just talked to her, and she doesn't, you know, think that I'm that big of a deal. Uh, Laughter you know, so every time I go out somewhere, she goes, why they fly you all over the place? What, what, what could you possibly have to say? You know what I mean? Uh, that's, that's so great that you get to travel all over the country and tell people. You know, it's like, well, I'm usually talking about you, Mother. and <laughs> And it's a story that they like to hear. But in the end, she always wishes me luck, and she always tells me to call her when I'm done. And, uh, you know, I, I, my mother was not somebody who put her arms around me and told me that she loved me all the time, but my sponsor has taught me that love is an action word, and if I look at my mother's actions, my mother loved me in a huge way, and uh, we got up to Cincinnati, and my mother decided that because she was from the South and she had cleaned bathrooms for a living, that she wanted us to have a better life, and she wanted us to have a great education, and so she decided to send us to Catholic schools. So now I have a really huge red afro, a white blouse, <laughs> a plaid skirt, bobby socks, and black and white spaldings, and it just it just didn't look normal. I mean, you know what I mean? It didn't, and. Uh, you know, it, it really, truly did not. And and I got beat up from, I got chased from school on a regular basis. And that's why I liked that movie Forrest Gump when it came out. And, you know, and, and I understood the run Forrest run. And, uh, and so this one, one day, this girl named Squeaky, Squeaky, Squeaky was like 6'10 in the 5th grade. And um, her and her little posse used to chase me home all the time. And one day they stoned me. Uh, they were stoning me. You know, like how they do in Africa where they just throw rocks at everything like it's going to hurt them. But they stoned me and uh, I ran in the house. And my mother was home and I said, whew, I'm glad I made it home. They're about to kill me. And my mother goes, you know, Angela, at some point you're going to have to learn how to take care of yourself. And, and what I'm going to need you to do is you go out there and you stand up to Squeaky. Uh, I said, you want me to do what? And, uh, and she said, oh, you can stay in here and, and take the butt whooping that, that I'm going to give you, which I knew what hers felt like, and I only knew what squeaky's appeared to be. So uh, I went outside, and, and, and uh, you know, I looked up at her, and I said, my mother said I'm supposed to fight you. And she said, well, come on then. So I bowled my fists up, and I closed my eyes real tight, and I reached up because I knew she was tall, and I said, And I got her right here. Oh, man.
1: You guys are applauding violence. What's wrong with you guys in Florida? There's there's another part to that story before you clap.
0: And so I reached up and I hit her right here. And, oh, my God, it was the happiest day of my life. You see, I had swung at the giant. Everybody was scared of her, but I hit her, and nobody else had, and uh, and now she didn't budge when I hit her, um, and she, you know, almost beat me to death, but I have this thing called alcoholism that helps me remember what I should forget and forget what I should remember. And what I forgot was that she, you know, damn near beat me to death. And what I remember was that I hit her. And from that point on, I fought everybody coming down the road. It was, didn't matter. I was a boxer. And I, I'll tell you what, all the way up until the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, so I, I used to tell my sponsor, hey, hey. she'd say, you know, I need you to empty ass trash. i say, hey, sister, <laughs> I've hurt people before. And my sponsor's from England, and she would go, Lovely, could you still empty the ashtray? Yeah! (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and empty it this time. (laughs) And so, and so that was that was my deal. I, uh, my, I, and and my mother. God, love her. She came one day, my twelfth birthday, and picked me up from school, and uh, took us to our house. We lived in the projects when we got to Cincinnati, and she she took us to uh, our new house, and and it was beautiful. It's it's the same house that my mother lives in today, and it was a beautiful red brick flat house, which I love. One story, and it sits on a few acres, and you know the whole tire on the you know string hanging from the tree kind of thing. And one day, my friend Rebecca came over, and and uh, she had oh, I, let me tell you this first. I, I it was an all-white neighborhood that we moved into. So from the age of like 13 to 20, maybe 19, I wasn't even black anymore. I um uh, <laughs> I listened to uh, Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band and. <laughs> And my favorite girl group was Heart. <laughs> I know, isn't it crazy? And the first concert I went to was Led Zeppelin, 1979. <laughs> but I have to tell you this: I was at I was at the Ted I was at the uh, Ted Nugent Foreigner concert, and uh, and I was at, I was there, and 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 you know Foreigner was doing their thing. You know what I mean? I have traveled a lifetime. <laughs> Spend my time so
1: foolishly. <laughs> and I remember just standing and looking around man. I didn't see one black person. I was like, Woo! I am bad. Woo! I said, Daddy got to know her to come down here, but I'm down here. And, and that and that night at that concert I became a uh, Legend in my own mind.
0: (laughs) And everywhere I went and everything I did, everything was a song. That's all. It just played in my mind. And I lived my life through music, music, music. I mean, everything I did. I would walk into a bar and, and you know, the song, the profound words to the song from the Eagles. Somebody's going to hurt someone. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Before the night is through, somebody's gonna come undone. There's nothing we can do. Everybody wants to touch somebody if it takes all night.
0: (laughs) There's gonna be a heartache tonight. A heartache tonight, I know. And that's the way it went. And and you know my friend Rebecca came over one night and she uh she had a brown bag and it had some uh some bottles in it and it was Boone's Farm apple wine. She, <laughs> you guys are all sober, right? <laughs> Nobody's had any Boone's Farm this
1: evening, huh? Like, Boone's Farm! Yay! I speak at my church.
0: Every Sunday. And when I tell them about Boone's Farm, they don't react like that. <laughs> so I started hanging out with these girls, these five white girls, man. And they could do whatever they flippin' wanted to do, you know. I was over at their house one night, and and, and Rebecca's mother said, Rebecca. <laughs> I love that voice. Rebecca. <laughs> Your father and I have been conversing. And... And we feel that, um, seeing as you're drinking alcohol now, that we would appreciate it if you would drink at home and not out in the street. In that way, we would know you were safe. And I remember looking at her going, what did she just say? And she goes, they want us to drink at home. I was like, oh, my God. I thought that was the most closest, lovingest family I've ever met in my life. I remember going home to my mother going, you mind if I have a beer? And she goes, not in this lifetime. You know, so it wasn't happening there. And um so I hung out with these girls, and I don't mean any disrespect. I know that that I'm an alcoholic. It's a few drugs in my lead. I apologize. Just you know, tell Anne where's where's she at. You got a Yeah, you got a problem. It tell Anne or Lee. Yeah, don't tell me because I'll hurt your feelings. And uh. And, and, and so I hung out with these girls, and we drank. Oh, my God, we just had the time of our lives. And, you know, smoked a little weed, couldn't really get with that. It seemed like I smoked it and then ate everything in everybody's freezer. You know what I mean? got <laughs> had been there for about five years, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, and then got involved with, you know, a little acid, and it got me a mental health diagnosis. and. <laughs> about to tell you this one night my friend Rebecca and uh, it was three of us actually in the car I was driving and they gave me these two little pills and they said you know only take one but you know I took two and uh, it was strawberry mas- mescaline I know that's exactly what I thought and, uh, and so I, I take these two pills and we're driving and then they decided they want to go to McDonald's and about half point there things got colorful for me they, you know, just everything, just everything was just flowing, 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 flowing. And so we pulled into McDonald's and, and we pulled up to the little yellow box. And, uh <laughs> you know, and so, I, you know, I roll the window down. And there's some, you know, some little guy in there going, you know, what do you want? What do you, you know, I, well, what do you want? You know, they not ask me, well, what do you want? So I'm arguing with this, you know, little guy in the yellow box. And, you know, I, I really truly believe without a shadow of a doubt, you know, by the size of that box, I, you know, Basically, he got beat up on a regular basis, but I could take him because he probably wasn't about this bit. You know what I mean? So I knew that I could take him, so I was not afraid of him. You see, and we argued back and forth, he and I. And, and then I got to the next window, and they wanted my money, so I'm arguing with them. And you know, then I get to the third window, and he's pushing bags, and I'm pushing them back in there. You know what I mean? And, and so, they, you know, they call the police and, you know, just a whole shebang. And, you know, oh, she's disturbing the peace. She's disturbing the peace. And, and the police officer comes and, you know, he, he, his face, he looks like Fred Flintstone. You know what I mean? And, and, and I'm just looking at him. And he asked me my name and I told him it was Luke Skywalker. And, and you know, they don't take too kindly to that falsification thing. And uh, so I go and I... Uh, he looks in the car. And now my car won't move. And, and I said, officer, I don't know what's wrong. And and he goes, uh, in America. That's how his voice sounded. In America. And I was like, oh, dude, I know I'm going to jail. And um, he goes, when we want our cars to go, we put them in park. My car wasn't even in park. So he goes, pull over there and, uh, and, uh. He began talking, and his face was just going in different directions. And and so I told him, dude, just here, just put the handcuffs on me, because there's not going to be an explanation in about ten minutes. So, you know, he takes me to jail. They call my parents, and, you know, they call my mother and say, hi, we have your daughter um, down here at the police station. And my mother goes, well, make sure she stays warm and hangs up. And. I didn't have enabling parents. My, my parents truly believed that, you know, if I chose to go that direction in my life, that was fine, but they had other children that they had to raise. And, uh, and, and, and that's kind of how, you know, my stuff was. And, you know, uh, and I'll tell you what, I took my first drink of alcohol and I hear people, I travel speaking all the time and, and I hear people say on a regular basis, well, you know, when I took the first drink, I got sick, I got this. I'll tell you what, when I took the first drink of alcohol, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that I made a conscious decision that day that I I would drink every opportunity I got because see when I took that alcohol and I put it into my system, it transformed me in a way. There was feelings that moved through my body that started from the bottom of my feet and wrote. I based some of my relationships on the way that that first drink. You know what I mean? You can make me feel that way, we were good to go. You know what I mean? And forever. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, and I based a lot of relationships uh, based on that, that first drink. And my dad had got me a, my dad got me a job at a recording studio. And uh, so I was working there on the weekends. And one day uh, I was there and uh, I was singing in the bathroom. And, and, uh, and I don't know, if you're an artist like I am, it's like you, you hope and pray, especially when I was a little girl, I did anyway, that somebody would just discover me. That just one day I'd be somewhere. And, you know, I'd be humming or something. And somebody would go, oh, my God. You sing really good. <laughs> My name's Bob from Epic Records and I have a contract, and I didn't mean no work at all that I was gonna do. And, uh, and that happened for me actually. And I came out of the, uh, bathroom and there was a tall gentleman standing there that told me he could make me famous and that he had never heard a verse, voice as powerful as mine. And, uh, he said, I can, uh, make you famous, but you'll have to come to Las Vegas with me. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, I said, really? And he goes, yeah. So I went home. I called a family meeting. And, and I went home. And and I was a you know disturbed child. So if I called a family meeting, they knew it was going to be crazy. And uh, so I sat them all down. And, and I said, I will be back for you. <laughs> Once I have made it famous and I get a Grammy, I'll be back. And my dad kept things real simple. He would just look at me and go, something is wrong with you. And, uh, you know. And my mother um, uh, usually agreed. And uh, so I had my mother there saying, Angie, please don't go. And my dad saying, Angie, please don't go. And my little sister saying, Angie, please don't leave. And my brother also. And I made a decision to go to Las Vegas with this man. And uh, at the age of uh, 17, I was a young girl in Las Vegas, singing in casinos, drinking and having the time of my life and opening up for some of the biggest, biggest people and just drinking and having I lived in a hotel and it was just a party every night but something strange began to happen I began to um not remember stuff and uh and I, per- I didn't know anything about a blackout until I came to AA I personally believe that if you didn't remember what you did you had one hell of a time you know what I mean and uh you know and then people would tell you what you did and then you have to go drink again because it's so disgusting you know what I'm mean? saying so <laughs> You know, and I'm, you know, waking up with different people, you know, jeez, you know, toothless guys named Zeb, you know. (laughs) know? And he's going, but you told me you love me. (laughs) It's like, oh, did I Zeb now? Okay, great. Beautiful. Now, I'm going to run. And we're, you know, we're, 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 you know, laying next to each other. And he's got one tooth and it's gold. You know what I'm saying? And uh, just in, just insanity, insanity. And, uh, you know, this guy that, that I went to Las Vegas with uh, ended up having his own issues. Uh, and he ended up uh, having a little heroin problem. And uh, <laughs> you guys are funny. I mean,
1: it's just like everybody, oh. Yeah, heroin, yeah. <laughs> and so, I, uh,
0: you know, uh, he ends up introducing me to that. And, and so, uh, as a young woman, I was drinking alcohol on a regular basis and shooting heroin intravenously and began to get blacklisted in casinos, couldn't get a job anywhere. And, you know, people would say things to me. It wasn't until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous that I heard that the first drink was the problem because, see, that wasn't what I was being told. You know, they said, drink two drinks. Stop it two, Angie. You know what I mean? If you're going to, you know, smoke weed before you drink. You know what I mean? Do whatever you have to do, but just don't drink over four. You know, And and I truly did until I came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I believed that the fourth drink was the one that truly got me in trouble and then I heard drink wine just drink wine you know or drink beer you know or drink light beer and lose weight you know what I mean and it was just like I had all this stuff going on in my head and uh so um I stayed out here with this gentleman knowing absolutely nothing about him and he became uh, abusive and uh I wasn't making any money anymore and uh, he wasn't making any money anymore and we had this uh This drinking and and, and drug problem and um, he became more and more abusive and uh, one day he came and got me and said that he needed uh, me to drive him to the store and and I drove him to the store and when he went in he went in and he shot and killed the owner and uh, when he came back out he had the blood on him and he told me to drive and that's what I did and I need to tell you that for a long time in Alcoholics Anonymous I couldn't stay sober because I didn't want you to know that I didn't want you to know that somebody like me was involved in something like that. And, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to fathom when at the age of 13 when I took that drink of alcohol that nobody could have ever told me that something like that was going to happen. And so what I do is I go on trial. And I'm in Las Vegas and my face is plastered all over the news and, uh, and I'm listening to this family constantly telling me how bad of a person I am. But see, me, the way that I thought about it was I just like, I just, I just couldn't believe. It was so surreal for me. I just could not believe that something like that happened. It was like everything just seemed like a dream. And he is still in prison as we speak. And I ended up not having any charges but also being given a floater out of the state of Nevada. And what that means is for no reason can I ever, ever return. And me personally, I have not found it necessary to return. And <laughs> and, uh, and I'll tell you, it's just an interesting deal because um, in uh, March of this year, I got a phone call from Las Vegas, and it was a guy from the specific group who asked me to come and talk. And uh, I said, uh, you know, I'm not sure that's a good idea. <laughs> and uh, he said, we've already had you checked out, and, and you're good to go. And uh, but you know I'm an alcoholic. I'm like this is a setup. If I ever seen one, you know what I mean. If I ever seen one. So I said, well, Mr. Specific Group, you know, I'm gonna have to talk to an attorney. And so I talked to an attorney, and they check it all out, and it was, um, it was true. I could go back to Las Vegas, and uh, I uh, had one of my friends look this woman up because it was one of those amends that I didn't think I'd ever ever have to make. And I got a hold of her, and I asked her if I could meet with her. I told her who I was, and she said that she would meet with me, and uh, and I met with her. And uh, it was uh, the gentleman's wife. And I told her, I said, I know that I can't ever bring him back, but is there anything that I can do to right this situation? And she said, it sounds to me like you should just keep doing what you're doing. And she put her hands on my hands and she said, honey, you're a child of God. And I told her about my, my journey in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, she shared a story with me about Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and I was able to put my arms around her and tell her that I truly, truly am doing everything I can do to not practice that kind of behavior ever again. One day at a time, I strive for that. And uh, The little girl was about six at the time, so she was a grown woman. And I was able to tell her the exact same thing. See, one of the things that's so interesting about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is that we can never, ever really dictate what's going to happen on the journey. That's why I'm real thankful that you guys told me to strap in on the driver's side, on the passenger side, and go for the ride because it's going to be amazing. And when that day came, when I could make amends to that woman, then and only then, was I truly a free woman, where I could walk the streets with my head held high and know that I had nothing following me. And if you don't know what that feels like, you keep coming back and keep coming back because it's a marvelous, marvelous deal. End up. So I came back to Cincinnati and I said, you know, I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm not going to do anything. You know, I'm done. And uh, that lasted all of about three weeks. You see, I got this thing called alcoholism, and I didn't know at that time that I could not not drink. I had no idea. And so every time that I said I was not going to drink, I meant it from the bottom of my heart. That's one of the reasons why when people drink again, I don't give them a hard time. Because every single time that I said I wasn't going to drink again, I meant that from the bottom of my heart. But I didn't know that I was powerless over alcohol and that it dictated and managed my life. I didn't know that. But to the untrained eye, we appear liars. To my mother, I was a liar. To my father, I was a liar. But to you guys, see, you guys got me. That's why I keep coming back to AA, because you guys get me. I can tell you things and you understand. But if I told my church that I was looking out at the congregation and they all look like beer bottles with hairstyles, (laughs) I don't think they'd understand that, nor would they want me up there anymore. But you guys got me. and uh, So uh, we were riding this bus one day. On, on, on Sundays in Cincinnati, it's uh, you could ride the city bus for free. It's called Sunday Pass Riding. And my brother and sister and I were all on the bus. And uh, uh, we got down to the inner city. And there was a, a, a intersection there called Liberty and Vine. And it was this little restaurant there. And, you know, it was all these, you know, pimps and prostitutes and Cadillacs. And, you know, they were listening to Shaft on their little 8-tracks. And... <laughs> And I remember my brother looked over there and he said, "Boy, you couldn't pay me to go over there." And then my little sister looked over there and goes, "Shoot, me neither." And I was sitting there thinking, "Shit, I'm going over there tomorrow." You know what I mean? So I started riding the bus from where I lived to downtown on a regular basis, and. Uh, Drinking in some of the worst bars, uh, seeing some things that I never ever thought I would see, and uh, and just drinking and and going down rapidly and don't even don't even know it. And uh, I started uh, my friends. You know, I don't know how your friends were, but my friends they taught me how to write other people's checks. My friends did. <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, I began the uh, the uh, journey of committing crimes. And uh, I went to jail um, and took a physical and found out that I was pregnant. And I was headed to the penitentiary with a 7 to 25. And, uh, and I can tell you that the only reason why I didn't lose my mind when I went to the penitentiary was because my baby was growing inside of me. And every opportunity I got, I would rub my stomach and I would tell my child, I'm gonna be a good mother. I'm gonna do everything I can to be a good mother. And I meant that from the bottom of my heart. And, uh, I had my son, and the warden came to me and told me that because of the amount of time that I was doing that I would have to find somebody to take my baby. And by this time, my parents weren't talking to me. I was out on my own deal and on my own journey, and uh, I had to call my mother and tell her that I had a baby and that I was in prison. And, uh, and I said, I need you to come and get my child. And they came and they got my child, but they did not stop to visit me. They came and they got him, and so I watched my child leave from the penitentiary through a slit this big. And I said to my baby, I said, when I get out, I'm going to do the right thing. And I meant it. I meant it from the bottom of my heart. When I got out of the penitentiary, my son was four. I'm on the bus headed downtown to Cincinnati, headed down the highway to Cincinnati. And all the way on the bus, all I could think about, all I could think about was seeing my child. That's all, all I could think about. I got off the bus and suddenly, if you've read it, it's more about alcoholism. Suddenly, the thought crossed my mind that I'd had Hadn't had a drink in a while. Surely one won't hurt me. And I went to that bar and I had that one drink and the next time I saw my son, he was 10. I'm not really too um, confused about the powerfulness of the disease of alcoholism, you see. Looking back through the step work that I've done, I realized that um, I let my children go like they were a pair of jeans. One of the things that I said when I got sober was that I gave my kids up for adoption because I wanted them to have a better life. But see, the reality of it is, and what I like about AA is that when you work the steps, time and time again, there's a level of honesty. I don't have to be honest with you, but I most certainly have to be honest with me. And what I realized was I didn't take care of my children because they stood in the way of my drinking. And I had to admit that to myself, you see, because the coins that I get from my sponsor always say, to thine own self be true. And I had to get honest about that so that I can move on because it talks about it in the book. It talks about this martyr thing that we do sometimes. And thank God that I was able to get honest about myself because I'd have thought that I did something really, really good. Now, in retrospect, it was a wonderful, wonderful move. My children have had great lives, and I knew that that would not happen with me and uh one night I was downtown Cincinnati and uh, at a bar and went to some people's house and started um, drinking and shooting dope intravenously, and somebody shot ice water into my veins. And uh, by this time I was living on the river and uh, in a boarding house for women. And uh, after I got the water shot, shot in my veins, it was the closest thing to death that I ever felt. And I remember with every step that I took, I asked God, if you just get me through this. I won't drink anymore. Because the worst thing that I wanted to happen was for my parents to have to know that that's the way that I died. And I walked those 17 blocks. And I'm a believer of, I'm believing angels to the utmost. Because when I got back to that boarding house, there was a little white blonde woman standing there. And she looked at me and she said, you do not have to keep living like that. And she went up to my room with me and she put a rag on my head and she began to tell me about her drinking. And I, for the first time in a long time, I heard somebody who felt, not drank the way I did, but felt the way that I did. She asked me if I would go someplace with her, and at that night, I would have went anywhere with anybody if it would have made me feel better. And so I went to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And when she took me to my first meeting, it was at a clubhouse. So there was about 200 Harleys parked out front. And uh, all these white people with white cups and I thought well this should be an interesting party and um, you know I was walking up the walkway and everybody was so friendly they said welcome, introduced themselves I said well that's nice and then I got to the steps getting ready to go up and this big biker guy grabbed me, picked me up and he goes welcome to AA my name is Squirrel and uh and I said to Squirrel, I said, Squirrel man, you're going to need to put me down, man. Uh, really. And, and so, uh, I, she said, let's go into this, the building. And we went into this huge room and she said, somebody's going to tell their story. And, uh, and I sat real close to the wall because, you know, in case it was contagious or anything. And, uh, and this guy began to tell his story. And he talked about sleeping under a bridge. And it seemed to me, newcomer mentality, it seemed to me that the whole room busts out laughing. Ah-ha! Ah-ha! And I remember thinking, whoa. And he said, I used to beat my wife, and it seemed like the whole room busted out laughing. I said, man, these white people crazy. (laughs) And then after he said all he said, then everybody got up and held hands. And prayed. I said, "Lord," and they hypocrites too. (laughs) She said that. uh, She said, "We uh, you know, we we always thank the speaker." I said, "Well, good, because I got a couple questions I want to (laughs) ask." So he pulled in. He said, "Welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous, little lady." I said, "Oh, look here, brother. You know your buddy's laughing at you, dude." And he goes. Excuse me. I said, oh, your friend's here in your little club. I said, they're laughing at you. And he said, oh, sugar baby, you just keep coming back. I said, oh, no, you keep coming back. I just heard your story. And I stayed around AA for a little while. And, you know, it wasn't like I had a huge social schedule or anything. So I stayed around AA. You know, it's just me and what felt like me and all these white people. You know what I mean? And, And so I thought that alcoholism was a white people thing. But I stayed around AA for a while and uh, militant, <coughs> mad. Everything was because I was black. If it was, a girl was given a lead one night and she goes, you know, before, before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I didn't really like black people. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks to God and my sponsor in AA, I do. <laughs>
1: And I was the one out there that stood up and goes, Well, we ain't going nowhere. Cry to the people. We here for a long hour. And my sponsor would
0: go, Would you sit down? I say, Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and sit down, but I'm going to need to talk to you too about this sponsorship thing. <laughs> I mean, you white and I'm black. You know I'm a little uh, sensitive with civil rights and all. And I said, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, my ancestors picked cotton. And she goes, what? You don't even wear cotton underwear. <laughs> and I said, see, I don't know if this little sponsorship thing is going to work between me and you. but I... So like I said, I stayed around AA. And about this time, people start coming into AA with this little crack problem. I know they don't have crack in Florida. But in Cincinnati, we got issues with it. And they were coming into AA and, you know, everybody waved the same thing, you know. And, and, you know, their eyes were big and, you know.
1: <laughs> and I said, well, well, I guess y'all can stay here. Don't talk. Maybe they'll come up with a Crackaholics Anonymous. But right now you in AA and I'll be your sponsor
0: So anybody that came in, smoking crack in the I automatically was their sponsor. And I took them hostage and kept them back at the round table at the back of the room. And I'd read the big book to them at the top of my lungs. And, you know, and, and if they wanted to go to the bathroom, you know, I'd go with them. You know what I mean? Because, you know, their, their sobriety was very important to me, you know. And I knew if they stayed away from me too long, the possibilities of them smoking it again was high. And so I would stand outside the men's bathroom. I said, come on out of there. What you doing? We are smoking here. Come on, come on out of there. And then one day, this is amazing. I'm telling you that story to tell you this. Because one day, I was sitting at a meeting and there wasn't a cloud on the horizon. Everything was going pretty good in my life. And suddenly, the thought crossed my mind. <laughs> you guys <laughs> they're over here going oh my god <laughs> oh no, lord no and um that this seat should go to somebody who really needs it and uh and I decided that night being the martyr that I am to give up my seat in Alcoholics Anonymous and uh I called my sponsor and told her you know what I had come up with in less than 30 minutes and um uh, <laughs> And she says well I'll see you and hopefully you'll make it back If you make it back And I was like oh well I don't really see why I need to come back But thank you anyway And I figured since I'd been in AA telling them you know, That I'd been here for a little while That surely everybody would want to know If I was leaving So I went to the Wednesday night 8.30 meeting And they asked if it was any AA related announcements <laughs> Let you know what kind of AA I was Don't it so the old timer goes, Angie, and I said, uh, yeah, look here, uh, people, drunks, uh, people, I'm going to roll on up out of here, and thank you for the real thick book, and, uh, you know, I hope y'all keep coming back and living, and let live, and <laughs> I'm going to roll on up out of here. So you know how old timers are, how sensitive they are. So this one got up and goes, well, get out of here then. There's people trying to stay sober. We'll see you if you make it back. I was like, you've been
1: talking to my sponsor? <laughs>
0: So see, y'all had been talking about God using you as an instrument. And I said, you know what? I think God using me as an instrument too. And I think what he want me to do is go find some black people and bring them into AA. <laughs> so I grabbed my big book, stepped out the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous onto the street to the bus, said, first black person I see that even appears to be an alcoholic. I'm going to carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I got on the bus, and then brother got on, and he was, you know, staggering, you know. I said, bingo. And uh, I slid over next to him on the bus. I said, look here, brother, you been drinking? He said, yeah, I had a little something, something. I said, you know, you might be an alcoholic. So he started cussing me, you know, cussing me out and everything. And uh, I said, you know, the people at the double-A club told me that you would probably react like this to my information. So I think what I'm going to have to do is give it to you in a way that you will understand in the way that I know how to give it to you and hopefully you will hear what I have to say and I opened the book up to chapter 5 and I stood up in the aisle of the bus and
1: I said Raleigh! Did you hear what I said? I said (laughs) Raleigh! Have we seen a person fall who is thoroughly following our path? Those who do not recall who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with them, sir. <laughs>
0: and the bus driver said, oh, hell no, you got to get off this bus. <laughs> so he puts me off the bus. I call him an alcoholic too. And, and I made my way on down to the bar where I knew it was some black drunks. And, uh, you know, I went into the bar and they were dancing, having a good time. So I pulled the the, the plug out the jukebox and, and I said, look here, black alcoholics. They got a place for you called the A Club. You too can stop drinking such as myself. And they said, well, what you doing down here? I said, oh, no, well, I graduated. And I, and I promise you, when I walked out of that clubhouse that night, drinking was not on my mind. It truly was. To go and help these people, these pitiful pitiful people drunk with no solution and it was my job so I was an evangelist for Alcoholics Anonymous so they said girl if you don't put that plug back in that jukebox we will beat you down I said hey the people at the AA club told me that you probably react like this to my information so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have to give it to you the only way that you'll listen and the only way that I know how so I climbed up on the stool went to the bar sat on the bar and red at the top of my lungs I said
1: Raleigh do you hear what I say I said Raleigh have we seen a person who has thoroughly followed all path those who do not recover are those that are constitutively incapable
0: <laughs> and the bar, bar owner goes oh hell no you gotta get out this bar." me out of the bar and locked the door and, and uh, I stood outside the bar contemplating <laughs> when suddenly the thought crossed my mind that surely one drink, one drink won't hurt me and I asked, went in asked the bartender to give me a shot of gin I took that shot of gin and 45 minutes later I was in a crack house I ain't thought about smoking crack well that was for them and I tell you that to tell you this that what I've learned on my journey is that any time that I stand in judgment of any person, place, thing, or situation that I have just set myself up to experience it on some level in my life. And what I found out was I had a whole lot of amends to make to those people who uh I called myself sponsoring and uh uh and I don't mean any disrespect. I I know I'm an alcoholic, there's no doubt in my mind and you know, uh If it wasn't for crack cocaine, I'd have been out there probably a lot longer. It it rushed me back in. So I came back in June the 20th, 1991, and I was part of the little bitty waste committee. And, uh, you know, my hair hadn't been combed, and I was sitting at the back round table like this. (laughs) I had been out in the streets. I had had the same clothes on for three weeks, and uh, I was a mess. And I walked into the coffee bar in that same old timer that was there that night. When I gave my departure speech, he saw me and he looked at me and he said, Angie, you're going to die. And I said, I know. I need you to help me. And so he got a big book off the shelf and he gave it to me and he said, I want you to start reading this book. He said, but before you start reading it, I want you to go out there and I want you to shake everybody's hand coming through the door. Like I said, I was dirty and nasty. And I didn't want, and I said, but you understand, look at me. He said, I don't care. And I stood there, and I reached my hand out, and a lot of people walked past me. But for those people that shouldn't go into AA, and you don't have a place to live, and you don't have a job. Because he took me to the book where it said, job or no job, wife or no wife. My primary purpose is to help another person achieve sobriety and uh and so when I came back, I called my sponsor and, and talked to her, and she came down to meet me. And if it wasn't for those people in AA who let me stay at their house, I would be at AA meetings all day long, and I would be so tired and so hungry, and people would take me to their homes. And then what they saw was my willingness to stay sober. I'm the wrong woman to talk to if you're African American and you come into AA and you say you don't fit because there's not a lot of blacks I'm the wrong one to talk to because those people took me into their homes and they saw my desire to stay sober and I began working the steps with my sponsor and I be going, going begin, starting to go to more meetings and I got an institution meeting where I was going to the jail and I just started doing what my sponsor told me to do because, you see, I was properly horrified and thoroughly convinced that when I put alcohol in my system, what happens to me don't happen to the normal person. When my brother takes a drink of alcohol, he goes to work. I take a drink of alcohol, and I'm on the evening news. That's the difference in our drinking. And so I started doing this deal, thank you, because I was scared of getting electrocuted. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I just started doing this deal and and I did this deal the way they did it in the book and my sponsor uh, and I've had the same sponsor since I came in two totally different people who grew up together in Alcoholics Anonymous when I asked her to sponsor me she didn't like black people and I didn't like anybody so we were pretty much good to go and uh When I asked her, it was because they said you have to get a sponsor. You got to get a sponsor. You got to get a sponsor. You know why I asked my sponsor? Because she pulled up to this clubhouse one day. She was in a candy apple red sports car. She had like a little Mister T starter set on and (laughs) rings on every finger. And uh, and I said, well, that's my sponsor right there. (laughs) Because you told me that I should want what she has. (laughs) <laughs> so, I love my sponsor. Like I said, I've had the same sponsor, and she is just an amazing woman. And I, and I hope the day comes when you'll be able to meet her because I truly, truly believe that it's because of her and the action that she took in AA that plays a big part in my being here today. And she taught me and continues to teach me in a huge way. And, and so we work the steps. And uh, um uh, like I told you, I, I have a daughter, and uh, my daughter is 19, and she attends the uh, attends Grambling State University in in Louisiana. And uh, at five years sober, thank you, it's not by my doing, but at five years sober, my family, who raised my children, asked me if I would step out of their lives. I had shown back up to uh, see my kids, and they begin to act out and uh, begin to do things that they. That was not in their nature to do. And I knew it was because I was there. And so they asked me to just leave and go on about my business. And it wasn't until last year that I actually went to somebody's house on Thanksgiving and Christmas. You see, it was hard to live in the same city and know that my kids were around and I couldn't be with them. But it said selfishness, self-centeredness, we must be rid of it. And for the first time in my life, I made a selfless decision. And that was to let my kids have the same opportunity that I had growing up. And I had great opportunities. And uh, my daughter's 18th birthday, she called me and told me that she wanted to see me. And, uh, and I went to see her. And uh, you see, here's what's interesting is that as my children were growing up, I was always at their soccer games. But I was in disguise. And I was always at their basketball games, you see. Because I just, I had to be there. And if you're a mother, you know what I mean. I just had to see them. And I was at every single one. I remember when I was drinking, and my daughter would be in daycare, that this lady would let me come and see her in the daycare. She would be in her in her baby bed and she would never be asleep when I came she would just be laying there and the only thing she would do was smile at me but if my parents knew that I was there it would have been you just don't understand so she called me and I went and got her and and she spent all my money at the mall (laughs) She spent every damn dime in my head at the mall. But see, I didn't say to God when I prayed that I wanted to see her and keep my money. See, I, you know, my sponsor told me I had to be a little more specific. And we had a good day that day. And when I dropped her off, I was able to make amends to her and, and let her know that I loved her and I have loved her all her life. And she put her arms around me and she told me that she loved me too. And she walked away. And then she called me when she was ready to go to college and asked me if I would take her to the airport. And I took her to the airport and see, gosh, if I got what I deserved, I'd have never saw my kids again. And all the way to the airport, she laid her hand on my shoulder. See this is what I'm saying? If I got what I deserved, she would not speak to me. But what she did was lay her head on my shoulder and she began to tell me of stuff in her life. And we got to the airport. And she got checked in. And there was a sense of, that I was losing her again. And she checked her bags in and she began to walk away. And she turned around and she said, I love you, mommy. And I said, Whitney, I love you too. And she got on that plane and she's been calling me two and three times a week since she's been in school. Asking me those things that daughters ask their mothers. And when the hurricane hit, she was in Louisiana, and uh, we hadn't heard from her for six days. She called me, and she was so scared, and she was all the way down there, and I couldn't get to her. And she said, would you say that one prayer that you always say, please? And that prayer that I say to her and with her is, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will and take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those that I would help with thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. And she said, thank you. Thank you. I don't know what I can do, but I'll do something. These are the gifts that I've received in Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, my daughter is now... Um, dating a
1: white guy. That's her man.
0: And she will hurt you about her man. She's a good kid and so is he. They're they're both really, really good kids. And my son is twenty four and he uh, he's a he's a rapper. So I told him to please stay in school because I've heard him rap.
1: I got my GED in Alcoholics
0: Anonymous. Um
1: nineteen
0: ninety nine. And uh and uh I'm in college. (laughs) Working on a liberal arts and social sciences degree with a focus on all addictions. And I just got my uh, certification in addiction studies through the University of Cincinnati. God has been extremely good to me, you guys. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I have nothing to complain about, nothing to be sad about. It's all good. Everything in the ride is just good. And it may not seem like there's a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but I kid you not, if you're new in this room, there is a light that shines so big. And if you just get to the other side, you will be amazed before you're halfway through. A long time ago back home, my grandmother used to hum this song. And, uh, I didn't know what it meant then, but I most certainly know what it meant, what it means now. Do you mind? No. <laughs> and I will close with this.
1: <clears throat> Amen. grace. How sweet the, the sound that saved a, a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm, i found. I was blind, but now I I see. (laughs) God bless. We have a little something for Angie. Thank you. I got a skirt bag. Thank you. (laughs)